Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hi, everyone. I am so happy that you're back for another episode. Today is a really good, juicy, ew, I actually don't like that word, but (laughs) I just don't know where that just came from. But this is going to be a great episode that nobody is talking about. So whether you are married or in a new relationship or dating, sex is a topic in our 40s that is rarely talked about. It's almost like we just kind of push it aside, especially for those of us that are married a long time. We we, we just we we're just like, oh yeah, sex. Uh, it just it's secondary, maybe not even secondary. I think it's a little farther down on the list. But you may have a problem telling someone what you want. You maybe you've been married since your 20s and you don't even know what works for you anymore. You feel like it's a lost cause at this point. Uh, maybe it was never there to begin with. And how important is that? Some of you are divorced, uh, unfortunately widowed or still single in your 40s and want to approach sex in the correct way in a new relationship. There are so many areas around this that we could tackle, and I felt it was really important to cover this topic because, as you know, I'm, I'm pretty open to talking about anything, and I'm pretty much an open book, uh, and I think a lot of women feel shame about sex sometimes. We, we live in a society where sex is just thrown at us in many ways as sometimes negative. We are constantly hearing about the sexualization of women. And I think I think it's I think it's tough being us today. But I am very, very excited because today I have Danielle and Celeste here to inform us and empower us in this area. Dr. Danielle Harrell and Celeste Hirschman are the founders of the Somatica Institute of Sex and Relationship Coaching. They can't wait to bring their enthusiastic celebration, support, and wisdom to an honest and vulnerable conversation about how to have lasting intimacy and passion in your relationship or to find and create the new relationship you desire. Welcome to the show, Danielle and Celeste. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Hi, we're excited to be here. Great. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. And um, really what I just said is true. Um, I think that a lot of women are not having this conversation. And I think I think at this point in our lives, uh, you know, in this early midlife time, it's important to kind of reevaluate this in our lives and really ask some questions. And so, yeah, I want to my first question for you is how did you two get started? What what was your initial interest in this area of expertise? Well, I mean, I was just a sex obsessed um, teenager and continued to be a, a sex obsessed person my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was definitely like the way that I balance myself. Um, in terms, by the of way, my I mood. used to teach sex ed, 
<laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I just kind of thought, wow, like seriously, I can get paid to talk about the only thing that I ever even want to talk about anyway. This is amazing. Um, and, you know, and then I went and got my degrees and all of those things um, so that I could do it uh, professionally. But but it's just such a, you know, humans are endlessly fascinating. Sex is endlessly fascinating. And so, you know, that was sort of what got me on this journey. I love that. That's amazing. And Danielle, tell me your story. I apparently was sex obsessed, but secretly I didn't know it. You know, like how are you, you kind of interested in things? I was very interested in sex. I read all Masters and Johnson when I was, you know, a teenager. I was I was like more like a nerdy sex obsessed when I was younger. And then when I thought about what do I want to do when I grow up, I said like, oh, no one does that. So I didn't. And then I went to school and studying, you know, like my master's in social work. And when me and my husband moved to the US, I felt like I couldn't hold back anymore from it. And I went back to school and uh, got my PhD in human sexuality. And uh, that's where I met Celeste. Wait, you two are actually making me realize that I also was very sex obsessed when I was younger. <laughs> like I was, if I was looking like the the joy of sex, like I would read through that like it was I don't know what. And you were just, you're just making me laugh. And then, as I just said, in college, I taught sex ed, and I loved that job. It was like one of my favorite things I ever did. My first question to you, you know, we we talk about sex and intimacy, um, and I think that there's a line between the two that people are a little bit confused. So so I, my first question is, before we get into talking more about sex and sexuality, what is true intimacy? We um, talked about being vulnerable. So I kind of want to talk about it in terms of my own experience. When I was younger, I think I thought intimacy was like what you, know, what you see um, in the movies where it's almost like you want somebody to give you everything that you think that you want for yourself. You know, and you sort of find somebody and you try to change them into something that you want them to be. And as I I, you know, started doing this work and learning so much about myself and other people and working with couples. What I came to realize was that true intimacy is when you actually be yourself completely and show up as yourself in relationship and you make space for someone else to do that as well. And I think it's hard because, you know, you kind of want that person to do all the things you want them to do, but then they don't get to be themselves in the relationship or, and you also can't be everything that they want you to be. So a lot of what, you know, what I do in my relationship now is to try to make a lot of space for people to be who they are and to show up as myself. And I try to help my couples do that as well, even though it can be uncomfortable at times. And is that, are you speaking across the board? Or are you talking about sexually only? Is there a balance in this area, I think is what I'm asking. Definitely across the board. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Celeste. It's really, it's either you letting yourself be who you are as well, not only your partner, but there's like the expectations about, because some people have a lot of shame about who they are. So they try to constantly like shape themselves into being whatever their partner wants. So it's like letting yourself be yourself in, in a, you know, a kind, gentle way and in letting your partner who be who they are. And this is like from who does the dishes to how do we stack the dishwasher to, you know, like who does the laundry? How do we talk to the kids uh, and uh, all the way to the bedroom? Yeah. And I think that that's really important. I think I, I, I will be married 18 years and a couple of months. And I, one of the things I've, I've learned in my relationship is that a, you, you can change things. You can't change a person completely. And you do have to allow each other to be who you are. I'm a little bit of a free spirit. And fortunately, I have a husband who lets my spirit 
soar a little bit. Um, so I think that that's, that's really important and couples are happier because of that. So important. So I'm going to start with, now, I, I want my listeners to understand that this isn't just about marriage. This is, it could be long-term relationships. You could be in a new relationship. You could be single and, uh, you know, just thinking about this. But um, I do want to start with, I think, the conversation that is had quite often with friends that I know that have been married a very long time is I don't even know what I want because I got married so young that, you know, maybe they didn't have enough experience before that, or some don't really even want sex anymore with their spouses because they've been together so long. Some just genuinely are, are you know, trying to figure out how to bring back a flame, and some people never had the flame. So I just threw a lot into that one sentence. Um, but, but let's just say, if somebody doesn't even know what they want sexually, where, where do they even begin with that? Yeah, so of course, many times, because we don't get any sex education at all, except for what we see in movies as, you know, romance education in rom-coms, that's, uh, you know, what's I see is very available in terms of emotional education, mostly for people socialized as women. And uh, many times what people socialized as men get is porn. So this is neither of these is any kind of accurate sex education. And people kind of have to learn by themselves. And they have no role models to look at. No one talks to them about it. You know, you can see your parents, like how they divide housework or how they talk to your kids. It doesn't mean you you want to do the same, but at least you have some reference, but you don't see people having sex and negotiating sex and talking about what turns them on. It's really something that people just do. They're just like, okay, let's see what it is. And what we find a lot in our practices is that people just don't know what sex is. They, there's like, yeah, okay, so there's penetration and there's some kissing and caressing. There's and but there's not much in, in between that you have a place to learn. So when we get uh, people in our offices and uh, in our practitioners' offices, we train practitioners uh, to do this work. We really help them start by seeing what turns them on. And we start from what they know, right? Like, because what about this scene was exciting for you? Or what do you already know about yourself that is exciting? What turns you on when you fantasize? And then we start adding different things to the menu. For example, different kinds of touch or different kinds of breath or exploring different kinds of fantasies to help see what is it that turns them on psychologically as well as physiologically. And what if you have a partner who is incompatible with your fantasies? I think this is one of the biggest challenges, you know, <laughs> right. like, this, is what, this is what we I see mean, in our it's, office. I mean, it's the same in, in like marriage or, you know, anything else that you're dealing with, it goes, you know, into the bedroom too. For sure. And, you know, I think it's really dependent on how, you know, sort of like flexible people can be and whether they're open to trying things that are different. Um, sometimes people aren't really capable of learning what their partner wants. And sometimes that whatever it is that their partner wants doesn't turn them on. And so they're sort of like, oh, I don't, you know, it, or even like turns them off. So they're like, I don't want to do that, you know. So there's a lot of different, there's sort of like dealing with some disappointments and also trying to be really creative because what you want to find out is what somebody wants to feel during sex. It's much easier than trying to figure out everything that somebody wants to do. And then if you can come down to what somebody wants to feel during sex, there may be a lot of pathways to get there that even people who were trying on their own and were kind of incompatible, they're like, oh yeah, well, 
I never really thought about that, but that might work for me. And yeah, I'm open to doing that. So, you know, we can kind of bring in a lot of uh, different ideas that people might not be, might not already have on their own. That's great. I have a story to tell you very quickly in this area, <laughs> So, the, which leads to my next question, which is, I, I think sometimes when you've been with somebody for a long time and then all of a sudden you decide you want to do something, it sometimes can be like almost awkward and funny as opposed to a turn on. Many years ago, <laughs> I was with my husband and we were at like a hotel bar and we're like, let's pretend that you're hitting on me and, you know, we're going to go back to our room or your room or whatever. We literally got through like two minutes of the conversation before like hysterically laughing and it, we couldn't even go through with it. We've been together for so many years, 22 years that I think there are, there are many other married couples. I know this for a fact from talking to my friends that introducing something new at this stage of a relationship is almost more uncomfortable and awkward than it is exciting. So I, I, I'm just wondering how you get past, how do you get past that? Sometimes, you know, we, we are still sexual with our partners, but our friendship is bigger than our sexual intimacy. Definitely. That happens a lot. Um, you know, um, and uh, I'm married for Ever. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Your right? Ever is longer than mine? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hit 26 this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Next month, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, um, definitely, like, how do you introduce something new? Is a really, it, with, a, with this, like, you already know each other and it's people are uncomfortable, embarrassed, and it's like, oh, it's like they honestly just don't even know how to talk about it. That's why many times going to a coach, and it's, it's not the only way. You can also read a book. You can start by finding a, a book and start talking about it. There's, you need to be like, you need to be willing to say, hey, we need to, do, let's do something new. You know, like, let's do something and let's see how we talk about it. And also tolerate the discomfort and the, the embarrassment that happens because we know each other in one way and then we start to do other things and it's really exposing and um, can be, again, uncomfortable. So deciding, like talking about the, the meta conversation around it, talking about that's where vulnerability is super important, like talking about like how uncomfortable it is or how embarrassing and let yourself giggle together or uh, find something in a book and see, let's try that and, and let yourself go through the embarrassment and the discomfort. But I think one of the most powerful conversations to have is what Celeste said before is about what you feel, because I think many people go into like, let's just do something, but but they don't have a, they, there's, there's, there's no like understanding why, we, why would we do that just because someone told us that that's a good idea to try it, but that might be something that's not interesting to one or both of them. So therefore starting f with what you want to feel when you go to sex can be the real, the real first conversation to start with, because that brings much more tenderness into the experience. It's also great to have an experiential sex coach because then they might like, you know, guide you through it in the office and kind of help you get through the giggly, awkward parts and then actually like practice with some some more sincerity. But isn't that awkward talking about that with you? Do couples find it? I would think it would be. 
I think yeah. they, yeah, I mean, we try to make a super, <laughs> sure. like, I think what actually, what they say is like, I can't believe how comfortable I feel. I thought this was going to feel so weird. It, certainly some people feel awkward, but I think a lot of times people are surprised because we talk about it so matter of factly that it's just like, there's not that sort of like, Ooh, you're not supposed to be talking about this. Feeling. Right, <laughs> right. But I think that helps a lot. And then sometimes there is some awkwardness about like trying something new in front of someone else. But we also can kind of demonstrate things and like, how do you, how would you talk to somebody in a way that would actually like really touch on their core desires, you know, like what actually like how they want to feel like, because if somebody like wants to, you know, like maybe you played this pickup game in a bar, lots of people want to feel that, but that, I mean, want to play that, but like, did you want to play it because you wanted novelty because you wanted to try on a different persona? It's kind of really helpful to know like, what is it that gets you excited about it and experience and then go, Oh, and what gets your partner excited? Because you're like, oh, okay, so this is why they want to do this. That way I can play it more directly, like what they really want to get out of it. Ah, that's interesting. So it's, that's, that that's a lot deeper than my mind went when we were doing that. <laughs> it was yeah, just, exactly. Yeah, but that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. What what about women who have been checked out for all sorts of sexual dysfunction and just don't want to have sex with their partners anymore? Because that's I, I have a lot of friends who are like, eh, I'd be fine without it. I have no interest in it and clearly has a partner who wants it. And and I have friends who just have sex with their spouses to make them happy and get zero out of it and just want to get it over with. Is there any way to to change that? As um, Danielle mentioned, in a long marriage, sometimes you're a little over it. Yeah, and I, I really want to say that the over it happens for many reasons, and sexual dysfunction also happens for many reasons. And some of it is because people are not getting the movie that they want or the feeling that they want to feel, and then they're just like, "How long are you going to participate in something that's not turning you on?" Right? right. So finding what is it to turn you on is that's like the essence of where you want to go back again and again and and start to have this conversation, and of course. Of course, that, that's where many times low sexual desire comes from. That's for many times some pain can come from as well. And again, being able to have the conversation and being willing to really hear what needs to change. It is a very deep conversation. It helps people see who they really are in different levels. And sometimes, again, they might find that they're not compatible, which some of them kind of know that they might have less compatibility than they thought they had during the honeymoon. But there are a lot of ways to expand and see what else is available on the menu for them because they might have not even had the tools to touch it. By the way, I I, I feel like most women, if they have a husband who does the dishes or <laughs> prepares dinner, like they're going to have hot sex that night. Like those are the things sometimes that turn us on is <laughs> just having someone else take care of something that we don't have to do. Totally. For some people, their core desires is to have like some, you know, like people taking care of them in other ways, not only in the bedroom and they feel turned on, but then, you know, and they like, oh, why are you all over me when I like watch the children, you know? Yeah, so turned her on. Exactly. <laughs> so hot. But for some people, that's not going to be it, right? So no. that's why finding what is uniquely yours uh, can be so, uh, is so important. What about uh, if you if you have an amazing marriage, but the sex has never been there in a way that, you know, it's from day one and people always say, oh, you can bring back the spark. What if that was not there? 
to begin with. And obviously, listen, that's not it's important. So if that was a problem and you got married and, you know, that happened, is there a way to fix that? Well, first, I want to say that a lot of times people get married for lots of different reasons and sex isn't part of the deciding factor. And I think it's great to like actually be gentle on yourself if you made that choice. Maybe you were looking for, you know, stability or consistency or a good co-parent or somebody who you could live with really compatibly. But, you know, because we live in such a sex negative society, sometimes we think, oh, well, that's not that important. But then you go so many years and it's like, you realize, oh, you know, maybe this was kind of important. <laughs> and, you know, to just like ignore that part of it in my decision making um, has these long term challenging ramifications. And sometimes when there wasn't any spark, it's not possible to get a spark because there's just not that basic level of attraction, which a lot of that does happen right in the beginning. And it's kind of like part of the bonding. But again, you know, we have definitely helped couples start up a sexual connection when they haven't had a sexual connection in the beginning or for a very long time. It does sometimes take more like creativity and willingness to be like playful and fantasize together and, you know, whatever, use blindfolds, like (laughs) pretend you're each other's massage therapist, like try different kinds of approaches that might kick in more of your fantasy and have the desire come from that more of that fantasy place. If there isn't like this deep, already sort of deep attraction between the two of you. Have you two ever been in a situation where you've had a couple who have a happy marriage and you haven't been able I'm not I'm not downplaying what you do and or but but you're not you're not god. Um <laughs> have you ever had a situation where you couldn't help bring that back for a couple? Definitely and it's nothing to do with how much we try because we can't make people right t- turn on change you know turn on something that is very deep in what what is that turns us on is a very deep thing and we don't choose what turns us on and we can't change this and there's a lot of things I know there's a lot of hopes for people to you know to go to professionals and for the professionals to be able to coaches to be able to fix everything but some people cannot and probably won't be able to be compatible with each other, even if we try to maximize our approaches many times, like, let's see what we can maximize out of it. Let's see what the potential is. And then, and then see what, what do we do if, if one or two of you are still both or three, or I don't know, some people are more than two, uh, (laughs) are, are not satisfied. What do you do then, right? Like what, what are the options that you have? And then we have a few options. We help them work with the disappointment first of what is it that, like, what does it mean to still love each other and have a wonderful relationship, but not have a great sexual connection? Some people are okay with that, by the way. And we deshamify it so much because there's no right way to live life. You need to choose the way that's right for you and your partner. And if people feel totally fine with that, great. That's wonderful. But, and sometimes we help people see maybe the other options. Some people would be interested in opening relationship. Other people would decide to separate. There's a lot of different options and we try to be as creative as we can to help people celebrate who they are and celebrate their relationship and see, you know, because the relationship is bigger than sex. And at the same time, for some people, sex is such an important part in the relationship. I want to ask you about uh, open marriage. I think that this is this is something that we've heard more about through TV shows. I, I watched, I know this is an open marriage, but I watched this um, reality show a few years ago called Polyamorous. 
and it was, you know, is it, what is it called? Is it called polyamory? Yeah, polyamory. Polyamory. I was fascinated by it, but but you know it was that that you know that was more of a relationships. I, I I genuinely I'm so curious because I have heard you know you do hear, uh, I think even with the younger generations they're a, a little bit more open minded with sexuality I think than our generation X is, and this is a topic that's come up as kind of a joke among women. But I think that there are couples who really have thought about it. Is that if you if that's something that you talk about with couples? Does that really work? And and what do you suggest for that? I think that question, like, does that really work? I always want to like look at that question and say, well, does monogamy really work? You know, maybe like less than 50% of the time. Right. <laughs> so I think sometimes open relationships work and sometimes monogamy works. And what, what works best is finding the configuration that fits the people in the relationship the best. So we really, we have plenty of couples who are in open relationships who we work with. We have plenty of couples who are monogamous who we work with. And the bottom line is um, what makes relationships successful is much more about like, can people communicate and empathize with people? Can people try to help help and support their partners in being truly who they are and getting what they need for themselves? Like those kinds of generous, like mutually supportive and accepting attitudes and approaches um, are the things that make relationships work. And what's hardest, I think, is one person being monogamous and the other person wanting openness, because Mm -hmm. then there's often a lot of like judgment on either side or, you know, a big challenge, like the person who's monogamous feels like they don't feel special to their partner anymore. The person who wants to be open feels kind of like suffocated and like they can't be themselves. So those are harder to navigate. But when both people are like, yeah, let's try that, you know, like we've seen, you know, amazing relationships in, you know, both open or monogamous. Mm, That's so interesting. I think it's I, I could almost do a whole podcast on that because I think that everybody you're, you're lying if somebody hasn't thought about it once in a long term relationship. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, there are the relationships where maybe it doesn't even pass through their head. But I think that it's something that clearly, you know, they put this reality show up and people were watching it for a reason. Totally. So you you said earlier where we were talking about teaching our partners a little bit about what we want and and through, you know, whether it's reading about different things or seeing things or what are the steps to really teaching your partner what you want? I mean, aside from having the conversation, actually, we talked more about how do we learn what it is that we even want? And then once we have learned that, how do we teach our partners? Yeah. And I think it, I think I want to help uh, people have like a little bit more of a, um, you know, like imagine that it's actually teaching someone how to love you. Okay. And how to love you. We teach people all the time our how to love us, but many people don't do a good job doing that. They do it with anger. They do it with, why didn't you do this? You know how much I want, you know, you know how many times I told you don't be late, right? Like, or uh, instead of saying, you know, sweetheart, when you're late, I feel unimportant or I feel anxious that something happened to you. Can you just let me know when you're late so it will calm my nervous system? I need some sort of connection, right? I'm just doing it around intimacy, for example, right? That is not around sex. Mm -hmm. So when you do it gently, I think, again, most people don't know that it's a good idea to even tell someone how to love them and instead upset when the their partner does not love them the way they want to be loved, but it's not common knowledge for everyone to be loved in the same way. And 
People have their preferences in the way that are very unique to them. Uh, so doing it around sex is very similar. So for example, telling your partner, I really would love it if you can just like pause when you come back from work and look in my eyes. This is where foreplay starts for many people, socialize as women for sure. Uh, and then we also call it workshopping it, you know, like, like really like don't expect something to happen right away. Let's give it a few tries. I would love it if you can kind of caress me slowly, you know, or caress my cheek and kiss it gently before you go kissing my lips. So you give guidance very like really stroke stroke by stroke to really see what is it that's going to work for you. And not only around touch, I think people think about sex just as touch, but also about what words you want to hear, what kind of uh, look you want your partner to look at you and experimenting with that and seeing like, how is that? Like I just vacuumed the living room. Those kind of words. <laughs> yeah, that one. But all, I used to have like a list of like a li- like an email that I would send partners that was like a list of like sexy things they could say to me if they wanted to really turn me on. And there was like the ones that were more like overtly sexual, like, you're, you know, like be my good girl right now. And then ones that were more like romantic because those are the things that like really turned me on. Like, you know, like I just love looking in your eyes or something like that. So like literally just put words in people's mouths. And I think we feel like, well, if we do that, then they won't be sincere. But I feel like people want to express how they feel about us. And if they do it in the language that lands for us, it's going to work so much better. So, you know, it's okay to, to, to show and tell. And if I'm going to teach somebody how to touch me, I would touch them the way that I want to be touched, not just say like, touch me lighter, like touch me like this, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, touch their face or touch their arm or squeeze their butt. Like I want it squeezed harder. You know, I want to feel more of your animal, something like that. Right. And like, like, I want you to look at me like this and then do it to them. That's another way to teach because I'm like, Oh, okay. I get that because I'm feeling it physically in my body. Like I'll have partners say, wow, I didn't know I could grab you that hard. I'm like, yeah, I want your passion. I'm not breakable, you know, or, you know, I do want you to like, I want you to kiss me lightly before we go into like a deep tongue kiss, you know, or something like that, like, and then show them that. Uh, You know, I actually think sexting with your partner has been a new way that people have been able to kind of express themselves. And I I will not name this friend, but I have a friend who, who does that with her husband. They'll be like out with a couple and they'll send each other texts. And they, and she said it's like made our sex life so hot because both of us are kind of shy about saying what we want, but we'll say it in a text. And, um, you know, and it's, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Definitely a great route to, to learn, you know, like, because then you can respond in the way that you want to respond and that like, it's, it can be a really, really wonderful way to learn uh, through sexting with each other as well. What what are maybe what what's maybe one other way? Uh, I love the list idea, the sexting. Is there another way to do that in a way that maybe isn't going to be awkward for 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 those those of us that have been with somebody for a long time? I think you could write like your partner a story of like your you know your most exciting seduction, like what what your seduction would would be. You know, you'd say like. And then you blah, 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 and you do this and you do that. And you could just write the whole story out and send that to your partner or, you know. And drop the notes. expectations. Sorry. 
and drop the expectation for it to be really happening in that necessarily amazing way. Right. But it's even just the story can be just a turn on in general, right? Totally. I obviously have a deep voice and I, I have friends who have told me over and over again, I should be a sex phone operator, which I was like, <laughs> guys, I don't even think they have sex phone operators anymore. But but funny enough, you know, I have a few businesses. And at one point I wanted to get some extra money for my business. And I was trying to find stay-at-home mom jobs that I could do, you know, that made a decent amount of money. And as I was researching it, the number one stay-at-home mom job was a sex phone operator. And I was like, are you kidding me? They even still have this. So of course, out of curiosity, I started looking into it. And um, I talked to, I, I don't remember at the time, I talked to a girlfriend who was telling me that they had a, and I'm I'm still looking for this book because I don't know if think it's it has come out yet. But she said my friend actually did this to write a book. She trained as a sex phone operator. There's like a whole training you have to learn about fetishes and this and that, and she did it for research for the book. And her husband knew about it, but she made a ton of money. I think like twenty thousand a month, something crazy. Uh, you know, the longer you can keep somebody on the phone. And I was like, what? I'm going to do that. I could do that. I, I you know I've done narration and voiceover work. <laughs> I was like, I, so I come home to my husband. I was like, honey, I, I have a job that like I would be good at and I could just do it like while I was doing the dishes or like in the bathtub or whatever. Else. <laughs> and I said, so what do you think about it? And he's like, he looks at me and he said, it's fine. He's like, but here's the deal. Like, if you're really going to do this, you need to like go into a space and focus on the guy and not like be doing the dishes and other things. Like you really have to put your all into it <laughs> if you want to keep him on the phone. And this is my husband who's like, oh my God. super. Like <laughs> you would never expect him this to come out of his mouth in a million years. And I was dying laughing. I'm like, wait, seriously? And he's, he's like, yeah, like I don't coaching care. you. I love it. <laughs> he's like, you're yeah. going to have to take this seriously. <laughs> and that honestly, I think I would do, I would have done it if I didn't have a daughter that one day might find out that I was doing that. I mean, it's totally <laughs> legal. Uh, but it was it was it was a very funny story, and I, he's like, "I'll listen." I'm like, "Cool." He's like, "I'll call in." Oh, that's a great idea to record your hottest story and share it with your partner. You can do it professionally, or you can do it in your bedroom. Or they call, they just call your 900 number, and you pretend you're not who you are. Yes, from totally. two different rooms. But I, I, I said, um, you know, dropping the expectation, not because I want to be a party pooper, but just really because sometimes people put all of that and it's very vulnerable. I just want to acknowledge how vulnerable it is. You put, you pour your whole soul, uh, soul into just this letter or text, and then your partner doesn't respond the way you, you hoped or expected. And there's a lot of shock and disappointment that happens in that moment. And I think knowing that that's part of the learning process and not making like, oh, they're, you know, like people just really curl into a ball and just like stop trying, but instead thinking like, oh, this was an interesting try. Let's uh, help them see that that wasn't quite that, but very gently because really when people are going and trying these things, we just see people that are really doing their best you know, and yeah. sometimes they need a little bit more course correction and not expecting the first run to be immediately perfect or the 70 run, you know, there's right. always a places to learn and grow. And I think media and movies put this pressure also that, you know, I think when you've been married a long time, you have the understanding that you're not, no matter how much you love your partner, you're not going to have everything with one person. And and that's just the reality of marriage. And, and you know, that's okay. I think you, you, you see stuff in the media or you hear other people talking about their relationships and it can, 
you know, it can make you feel as if, you know, you don't have it all or you don't have it the right way. And I think that everybody should stay away from that because it's not reality. So if you're listening and you're newly married and everything is great, that's great, but it may not always be that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And segueing to that, um, I have listeners that are recently divorced or in new relationships or choose to be single um, in their 40s, but also want to date. How do you set yourself up in the beginning if you're starting a new relationship? It's interesting. uh, A couple of my friends you know, are dating through apps. And obviously, it's a weird time right now. But some of them have said like, oh, yeah, you know, he's great. But there's like no sexual compatibility off, you know, from the beginning. Some just have that and nothing else. How do you set yourself up for success in a new relationship sexually and intimately? I love talking about um, dating because I've been dating on and off for the last five years. I've had some longer relationships and I've also had times when I was in like multiple connections with different people that was super fulfilling. And I think one thing that people do, you know, that's really unhelpful in dating is they, they consolidate so quickly, like immediately after the third date, they're like, okay, let's try to make a relationship out of this. And they haven't even like taken the time to date multiple people to see who they really like hanging out with, to really know how to ask for what they want and find out who they are in relationship. They just quickly try to consolidate. So I say cast a wide net, try hanging out with different people and see how it feels. And then what you want to be paying attention to one is, do you have good chemistry right off the bat? And can you talk about what turns you on? And does the other person able to do that as well? Like, or can you teach them? Are they teachable? That's in the sexual realm. And then in the emotional realm, are people able to talk about their feelings and hear yours? And I always do a little training with this because most people don't know how to talk about feelings or listen to feelings very well. So I teach them how to do it. And then I see if they're capable of learning that as well. So, you know, because I know as much as we fantasize that, um, once you start a relationship, it's just like, Oh, this is so amazing. You're perfect. I'm perfect. There's not going to be any conflict. And it's like, you know what? There's definitely going to be conflict. Right. So are you good at dealing with tension and how do you deal with it with, you know, empathy and sharing feelings as opposed to saying, you did this to me and how could you do that? And, you know, like explaining and ignoring and apologizing before you even understand what's going on. So it's like those two realms are really important to have communication in. Like, how do you have challenging conversations and how do you have good sexual conversations? Because, you know, after the honeymoon and everything just sort of seeming to work smoothly at the beginning, you will need to be able to talk about what really turns you on to have long-term sexual compatibility. If you don't feel that sexual compatibility in the beginning, how long do you give it until you say this isn't going to work? Like zero? I I don't (laughs) 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 I feel like if you're already in a marriage and you have kids and you really want to work on something, then you see what's possible, you know, or something if you don't want to break up with someone. But if you're dating, like, don't try to get water out of a rock. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of rivers and oceans out there, like, find (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. What if that person has like everything else, but you don't have that? I mean, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough but that's good though you know what by the way that's it's that's actually it's good to hear that because I've given that advice to friends I'm like listen if you're not if you're not you're on your second date and you're still not like 
into him sexually, like you don't want to touch him, move on. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, the, this your life is at this point of our lives. This is the next chapter. You need to be happy. Totally. But I think it's frustrating too because I, I see my friends dating, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to find somebody at our age who is going to check most of the boxes. I, I think that your expectations get a little bit lower, Yeah, but still you do want that for yourself. Yeah. And also for many people in their, you know, like in when they are like dating later in life after they already like broke up or divorced, they don't need the same things, you know, like they don't, they or might have already have children. They don't need more children or they might be like financially already stable. They don't need financial support. So there's other things that I recommend people to look at because I think many times people go in this, like, I need the whole bo- the whole thing to work. And I was like, actually, that's not true. You don't need this and this anymore. This is already covered. So let's look at what is it that you really need now. And let's look for someone who is really gr- great, to, to, to give you that. Is there anything that you feel that I haven't covered that, that you think is really important for either married women or single women? I mean, there's, you know, there's vast amounts we've written. In ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've written books on, you know, how to have better sex and relationships. We definitely recommend you check those out, like coming together and making love real are both really helpful to figure out what you want sexually and how to have fantastic relationships. And also that it's okay to reach out for help. I think a lot of times with sex, especially there can be a lot of shame around asking for help. But when you're in a pattern with someone and you can't seem to break out of it, it's really, really helpful to have like a third person who can bring in a different perspective and a different conversation than the one you've had over and over and over again. So, you know, I would definitely say that. And at what stage does a couple see a sex coach? I think the sooner the better. Like I look at it as enhancement too. Like why go many years before figuring out what you each want and then build up resentment, start early, look at it as enhancement and prevention and learn about each other and have the best sex you can. I think that's great advice, actually. I um, I think it's the Catholic religion where you have to do premarital counseling. And I've always thought that that's brilliant, except when I was first married, because at that point you're like, then marriage isn't hard. What's everyone talking about when you get married a long time? And I, I, I think that I, the idea of premarital counseling is so brilliant. And I think that Every couple should do that. I, 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 so I think adding your type of service to the mix is is a very smart thing to do. Totally. This has been amazing. I So I you just mentioned, but I want you to, to be able to tell everybody where they can find you. And um, if you uh, please talk about your book and where that can be found as well. Books. Uh, yeah. So um, if you want to get coaching with us, it's celesteanddanielle.com, um, just our name spelled out. And if you want to become a sex and relationship coach, somaticainstitute.com. That's Ooh, S- I want to do that. Yeah, can do that? you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> to my roster of, of my third career. You totally can. What do you do? What do you have to do to become a sex and relationship coach? Uh, So it takes about a little bit over a year of training, um, but you can start working with clients before you're done with all of your certification. Um, And we have a training where we teach people beginning to end, you know, and it's like about one weekend per month for that year. And there's kind of homework and reading in between. And it's a very in-depth 
process that also helps people have amazing personal transformation. Some people just take the training to have personal growth and other people take it for a career or to a new career or to enhance, enhance a career that they already have. And we really just go through everything step-by-step step about how to have better emotional and sexual intimacy and how to help people do that. And if you want to just do it for personal growth, it is a six-month program. Oh, that's amazing. So which, which um, being a sex coach or a phone sex operator, which one would be less embarrassing to my 13-and-a-half-year-old? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm asking you, which one? Which no, one? I'll tell you because, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have two children, and they, you know, like, they uh, were young when I started this uh, work. Now they're, like, young adults. And they, sometimes it's going to be embarrassing no matter what. And most of the time they're kind of proud that they can talk to me. They proud me being who I am and also like really excited about asking me questions and all the friends come and ask me questions. So in some way you can be, it can be embarrassing, but also you can be the cool mom so you can decide what. To, oh, Danielle, I, in following that up, I have one more question for you before you, you two leave. Sure. Having kids, and this, I, I could have you back on to talk about this. We could have a whole show on this. But just mm -hmm. what has the discussion in your family been around sex? Has it always been an open topic? Is it something or were they still embarrassed by it? And Yeah, I think there's a way that you can't skip the societal messages because parents are not the only one that socialize you. You know, you also have the whole, you have the school and the friends and all, you know, all the, there's a whole society uh, that w works against sexual positivity. But um, I do think that having this solid conversations, that's not only around sex, it's also around body image and self-love and uh, how, do, you know, like when do you, and boundaries and how do you feel around, you know, like walking dressed or naked in the house. There's a lot of ways of talking about things that create sexual education and comfort around uh, yourself and around sexuality and around asking for what you want. And I think in many ways, they're probably very equipped to do that. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to have their struggles. You know, people have their struggles no matter what. And um, but I think it is can be very empowering that you start talking with your kids about sexuality and about their bodies and about their boundaries and doing what they want to do, as opposed to just giving in. And really like how to cultivate this can be very powerful, especially with uh, with uh, people socialize as women. I loved having you two here. This was this was a really fun podcast. And uh, sometimes you. sometimes we have a lot of fun. Sometimes my podcasts are a little more serious. Um, and and this this was you know valuable information. And uh, I'm so happy that we connected. And thank you very much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Mm, our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>